Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete, in Colorado. In Colorado. I, you know, I, I do love Colorado. I'm here in Colorado Springs, uh, hanging out at my parents' house. Uh, they just returned here. You know, I grew up here mostly and, and uh, uh, right at the foot of Pikes Peak. And uh, nice. the weather has just been unreal. It is such a great, it's a short trip, but it's been really fun and and uh, great to be able to do a little backyard podcasting. Uh, this is weird. My parents don't golf, but they ended up in this place on a golf course. And there is a chance that someone will play through as far as I know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how serious I should worry about shagging balls uh, oh, here. you probably, uh, yeah, I think you're going to be fine. I think so. I don't, <laughs> as I look at their house, you know, you can always tell, like, I look for the pock marks if the house has been hit by, by ball, and theirs doesn't have any. No. And so, I, I think we're okay, but I'm, I do, I do worry about such things. You know, anxiety. Be, right, right. right. <laughs> that all of a sudden, all these balls are going to be coming <laughs> <Right>. at you. <laughs> you're going to be dodging them. That's right. That's right. I worry. Worst it's a little bit scenario. of a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need to take care of myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are going to be talking more about it. We're, we're continuing our back to school series here, yeah. uh, uh, getting ready for school, and so we're going to talk uh, be talking a little bit more about uh, the faculty perspective and and um, uh, continuing our conversation uh, from last week. Before we do that, head over to takecontroladhd.com to get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website, or subscribe to our mailing list uh, right there on the homepage, and you'll get an email each time a new episode is released. You can obviously connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. Uh, and we're going to okay. start off with a question. We got a question that came in that is actually related to our conversation this week. I think it's a great question. Uh, came in over on our, our Discord channel for uh, uh, patron support of this show. And uh, I, I think it's a good one. I noticed you, you put it in here early to, to, yes. uh, to, to make sure that we talked about it. Make sure that we talk about it. That's right. Uh, do you do you want to read it? Do you want me to read it? Uh, I want you to read it because right. you are the Casey Kasem between the two of us. All right, here we go. Actually, at Nikki Discord Coach and at Pete Petoned. Yeah, our tags don't work in reading our, our, narrative. They really no, don't. that doesn't work. <laughs> Actually, Nikki and Pete, since we're in student month, any advice on taking completely non-accountable online courses? Lots of great information, but almost impossible to complete for someone with ADHD. Most of the class's version of, quote, accountability is a Facebook group where you can go talk to other students, but little to no interaction with the course creator or teacher, no assignment due dates, sometimes no assignments, no end date, no exams, or really any kind of accountability. I would love anyone's ideas on how to extract the information from these without getting completely sidetracked with no one to let down if I do nothing. Oh, Nikki, as someone who has uh, created online An courses online yourself, course, right? <laughs> what do you recommend here, please? I know. And that's why I wanted to make sure we talked about it because I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, oh. That's, a, that's a really good point. <laughs> that's a really good point. Well, and it is a good point because it's something that, yes, I do have online courses available on my website. And, uh, and this is an issue, you know, for many of the students and uh, something that I've taken very seriously. And and uh, have been thinking about new ways to build in accountability because this uh, this person, listener, 
who uh, asked this question is very valid in their concerns, right? Because depending on how the online course is set up, now you and I specifically set ours up so that the videos were short and the lessons were short. So it didn't seem so cumbersome to sit down and actually watch the lesson. So I I have that going for me. It is ADHD friendly way to get information. But other online courses may not be set that way. And you may be watching a video for an hour and that's too long. So this is hard because I don't really have a clear answer because I'm still trying to figure out how to do it for my own students. Uh, I, I think that Something that comes to my mind right away is that what is the interest level that you have in the course, mm-hmm. right? Because when we look at ADHD, we know that you are going to be more more driven and more motivated by something you're really excited about. So I think we have to probably, you know, do a temp- temperature check. Is this something that you really care about? Is it something that you really need? Is it something that um, is worth trying to figure out how to get some accountability in it? Yeah. Um, especially when you say, I have no one to let down if I do nothing. Well, the person you're letting down is yourself. Well, yeah. And I I had a, a further question on this one because it sounds like this is a course that isn't necessarily designed for credit for some overall right. program, something that, you know, the, the student is doing like for a degree, because that has its own sense of kind of external motivation, right? You, you've Correct. got to pass a class in order to get your degree if it's part of a degree program. But this is something like, you know, I do I do this all I signed up for these master classes. I right. signed up for a master class. So, you know, I don't even remember what it was. And I was a dutiful participant for two weeks. And then, you know, stuff gets in the way and mostly it's just fireworks and I'm gone. Uh, and so what I, I struggle with that, too, for these online classes, I think the first thing that that I would recommend is is to find accountability, which is right. get somebody to do it with you. If that's it's something that's thinking. kind of for right. fun, right, create yeah. your own group, your own cohort, cohort and and see if you can get somebody who will who will go through the process with you and and uh, as such, you know, help you to um stay on track. Uh, you don't necessarily have to do it with somebody who's actually in the, uh, actually, you know, a, a friend and drag them with you. You could do it if there's a way to jump in that Facebook group and and find somebody who you like, who you generally like the tone of their comments and write them privately and say, hey, um, you know, this is, this is who I am. It's kind of my situation. I'd love to have kind of an accountability partner and maybe work through some of this content together so that we it's get the most idea. out of it. You know, I mean, you can yeah. you can certainly do that. And I think building that accountability partnership into your part of the process, if that's what you need, then you, uh, this goes into the self-advocacy conversation we had last week and will continue this week that that being a, a strong advocate for yourself might mean being an advocate by recruiting your peers to help. Absolutely. Well, and I was just thinking like within my own courses, if you contacted me and said, hey, is there anybody else in the course that would want to do an accountability or be an accountability partner, you know, I would certainly ask that question, you know, send out an email and say, Hey, we've got somebody who wants to uh, be matched up with someone. And so I would also contact the, the teacher or the person who's doing the online course and also find out, you know, is there a way to get a, a hold of other people that are doing the course? Is there a way, you know, are you interested in doing some kind of group you know, meeting or something like that. Um, You never know. Course creators are creative. They may be able to help you in that regard. You just never know. 
Well, and there's nothing to build accountability into your own process than taking a volunteer effort to lead accountability for others. Oh, for sure. You know, right? By yeah. by just reaching out yeah. and saying, hey, I'd love to start a cohort. That that requires a a level of participation for you that um, that can really help you to dig into the material. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I like that. I hope that helps. If this show has ever helped you to live in a new way with your ADHD, if, it, if it's allowed you to peek around a corner and, and look at the, your experience with ADHD in a new and unique way, if it's ever helped you to find uh, you know, accountability or strength or partnership with others by asking new questions of your own ADHD, uh, we sure would appreciate your support at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. This is listener-supported podcasting. With your small monetary support, you allow us to grow the show, to do more with the show, and to offer more back uh, as a result of the income from the show. Nikki and I are, uh, this is a, a part of our jobs, and it allows us to do the things that we want to do to grow our careers. We have no other boss. We have no one paying the bills. You are paying the bills. And we deeply appreciate those of you who have already elected to uh, open your wallets and, and help support the ADHD podcast for all of those who can. So once again, visit patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. We have some simple tiers over there. You you choose the level that you would like to support us and then get access to a rich and vibrant ADHD community, get access to ad-free versions of the show and uh, all other resources, downloads, workshops every month, uh, video workshops that are custom just for members. Uh, we appreciate your, your attention uh, to this, to helping us grow and to helping this show become something better. Patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. This has been a really hard one for me, this week's show. I had a feeling because when I went in to to check out the notes this morning, there wasn't anything there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, <laughs> to be, I, yeah, I, I usually like, usually these things kind of come, they get rolling, they're easy. And I started right. this one weeks ago and I started, the, the, I, you ever feel like you're in a bubble, right? That that your whole worldview is like, it, it's just, you think everybody agrees with you and their experience is universal and suddenly you realize, oh, wait, no. It's that's, not. That's not. Do you, do you ever feel like that? Yes. And then your bubble gets popped. Oh, and it's sad. <laughs> my, my bubble was popped. And that's been what's so hard this week. Preparing for the show had me feeling that way. My bubble uh, is and, and has been over my career teaching one in which I'm I'm pretty open about my experience. And and I think as a result of that, uh, there, there's sort of a standard invitation, either implicitly or explicitly for my students that have come across my path to be open with me about their experience uh, with mm-hmm. and, and in this case with ADHD. Uh, that, as it turns out, is not universal. <laughs> right. And we have definitely heard some of that feedback in Patreon, right? With the discussions that have been going on yes, about people's experiences with, with professors. So you're right. It's not universal. It's not universal. And it's incredibly frustrating because all I want to say is all of you people who are struggling, I wish you had had me as your instructor because right. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm good at this stuff. 
working with students with ADHD. I love to be prepared at this level with it to support people with ADHD, whether you share accommodations or not. And uh, some of that is because I'm a big believer in universal course design. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means, um, because I think it's important to be aware of. Um, in this case, I had this grand idea of what I wanted this show to to be about, and and it's not going to be that. And it's it's um, uh, it's a result of the feedback that I got from some other peers who are uh, also educators and and their sort of lack of experience of dealing with this stuff. But first, we have to address the design of teaching and then the reality of teaching. Now, the the design of teaching when you go and become a, a faculty member at a university, there are a lot of required ongoing sort of trainings that you have to take, and those involve you know FERPA and and um, uh, Department of Education requirements and privacy requirements and all kinds of things that you just have to, you have to know. But it's not even so much that you have to know it. The real requirement is that the university has to demonstrate that they gave it to you right? It's it's super protectionary, right? They have to just, you, you have to go through the class and click this and pass a little quiz and do all this, you know, the rigmarole to prove that the university gave you that information. It's like any other corporate training initiative. You have to have gone through sexual harassment training. You have to have gone through, you have to have gone through all that stuff. So okay. the design is to ensure that the faculty know what they need to know when they need to know it. The reality is that faculty rarely retain what they learn in those required trainings if it's outside of their domain of expertise, especially if they are never confronted with needing to use the material. Which would include most likely students with disabilities. Right. Or special needs. Or, or special needs. Well, I would say, whatever. especially learning disabilities, uh, ADHD learning in particular, right? Because those right. are, those are, can be the, what are sort of, I don't know, lackadaisically called the invisible disabilities, right? You can't, right, you can't right. see that disability when it comes into your classroom. And so it's easy for instructors to ignore those disabilities, yeah. you know, in spite of what is required of them. And mm -hmm. so uh, when we started talking about back, this back to school season, I thought it would be really fun to reach out to some of my former colleagues and say, hey, what do you you know, want to share with working with students with ADHD? What made your student relationships better with you as a faculty member, as their instructor uh, in the classroom, right? How, how did you, how do you feel like you could really help those students succeed? So I pitched them, having them come on and record interviews with me, and then I would play them and you could respond to them with me and we could talk about it. It would be great. And this is what then, you had in your mind? Yeah, no, it was great. It was Valhalla, Nikki. It was going to be so cool. And then reality set in, and I learned three powerful lessons this week that I would like to share with you. Oh, I don't uh, like this. And well, none of them are lessons that I had expected to confront, right? Yeah. Number one, students are not talking about ADHD with their instructors, right? And I have to say this with a grain, grain of salt. Like my, uh, you know, research sample is very small. These are people that I have taught with. And uh, so my contact list is not a, a list of thousands of other professors across the country. It's very, very small. So mm -hmm. that's... Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Of the emails that I sent, only one fellow instructor reported that a student had ever reached out directly discussing their ADHD in their years of teaching. Uh, and they had been teaching at this point for 15 years. 
one. And only one? One student has ever approached that instructor directly and said, I am living and working with ADHD and I need a little bit of support. One. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that actually ties into what we were talking about last week with the accommodations and why it's so important for students to be advocate for them or advocates for themselves. Yes. And to talk to the instructors about what they could potentially need throughout the semester. Absolutely. So that's number one. Okay. Uh, Number two. As a result, I think of number one, instructors don't really know what to do when they are confronted by ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. And and so this was a the sort of next level question. Nearly half of those that I've of my colleagues that I wrote to reported suspecting or strongly suspecting that they have had ADHD student, students in their classroom that were directly impacted by stress of workload and planning, but none reported, none of the instructors reported doing anything to adjust to support those students accordingly. So they're standing in class or they're working with the student online. They recognize the symptoms of ADHD. They don't know what to do. To do they do nothing. Which they probably can't really do much, right? Because isn't that that conversation that you a, a professor can't just ask a, a student, do you have ADHD? That is true because this was our, you know, fight club analogy, right? right you, you can't right. talk about fight club. But this, I'm going to, I'm going to put a, I, I want you to hold on to that because this is this is really important. It gets down to our universal course design that I want to talk about in a minute. So just hang on to that because it's a great question. So that was number two. Number three, working with disability services can be onerous for both students and faculty. Now, we know we've heard reports from students who say that working with disability services is is hard, that the requirements in many cases from disability services or, or student services, it, those requirements are too high given students with ADHD to get accommodations approved, right? And they, they're asking for too much. They're asking for too much time, whatever. Um and, and it can be a financial problem, too, if you need to have, if there's anything you need to pay for, if your insurance is you're struggling with insurance. There are a lot of complications that can make ADHD accommodations an accommodation of privilege. And that shouldn't be that way. And, right. and it really depends on the school. But it can be onerous for the student, right? We, we get that. It can also be onerous for the faculty, depending on the instructor's perspective, right? In this case, instructors report high frustration in working with the Office of Disability Services, indicating that requirements imposed get in the way of teaching everyone else. If available, in fact, professors on the list may delegate dealing with accommodations to TAs as much as they can. The indication here is that professors just don't like being told what to do in the classroom. And if they have spent years teaching the same class the same way, they are not keen on sitting down and figuring out a new way to do it for one or two students and get frustrated as a result of doing that. Those are the some of the big three learnings that I found myself enormously frustrated. Bubble popped and popped again and popped again. Can I just say something a little bit more optimistic? I want you to because I'm I'm we're, we're I want to make a pivot. Okay, because I do I I know that these things are so true. Even with just your small little sample, it's 
probably very close to what you would find if you did, you know, a thousand people, right? I think it's probably pretty close. But I also want to say out there that I work with lots of students who have gone through the process and they've had wonderful professors and they really, it, it did work. It, it worked out. So I don't want this to make people who are in the school system right now feel like, well, it's not even worth trying because I do want people to try. I'm really, yes, I'm, I'm really glad you said that. And that's the message. And in fact, that's the message I'm coming to because there is, there is hope out there. It's not, you know, there's the, the road is long and kind of depressing, particularly from my perspective as a faculty member. Um, There I am wanting to tell you, you know, what instructors want to hear. And what I learned was by all appearances, instructors don't appear to want to hear anything, right? They just want to like, if, if you just looked at this and, uh, tried to draw some conclusions from it. The conclusion is largely hide everything. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about Fight Club. Do your best and know that it's probably not going to be enough because the system is set up against you. And I hate that. I, I can't. Yeah. I hate that. Too. I cannot abide. Right. Uh, the The research is tough, too. You know, I as I am prone to do, I started popping up some research articles to see if there are any studies on on, um, you know, attempting to understand the instructor's understanding of ADHD. And most of those studies use incredibly small, highly localized samples, even in the U.S., where ADHD research has been going on steady since the 90s and, mm-hmm. and you know, earlier. But there is consensus around this point that educators in general do not receive education on ADHD in the classroom. They instead, they rely on anecdotal information, on personal experience uh, with ADHD, which is often a frustrating set of experiences because they don't know how to approach ADHD when determining a strategy of working, working with students with ADHD. So they're not equipped to have those conversations. The only training that they get is largely human resources based and not mm-hmm. not structurally like uh, based on curriculum development. And um, and so it, it's hard. It's hard to come back around and say, how do you change an entire culture that is designed not to uh, facilitate these kinds of things easily. Um, so I, I found my way back to a journal article published by, uh, or in the uh, SM Journal of Community Medicine uh, by Walzak and Estrada. And Walzak works in IT uh, as an IT in, uh, instructor and Estrada as a nurse. And they are from uh, University of South Florida and University of South Carolina uh, College of Nursing, respectively. And they covered that, uh, they uncovered, and, and I quote in their research, uh, teachers rate students identified as ADHD with or without treatment less favorably than non labeled students on appropriate behaviors, as well as on intelligence and overall personality. Uh, They also have unfavorable attitudes toward working with ADHD students as compared to other disorders, perhaps in part uh, due to competing demands of time and other student needs. Again, that's that's also pretty dark. But finally, and this is the one to take home, teachers report feeling that the requirements of dealing with any associated disruptive behaviors associated with ADHD cause them not to be able to effectively teach to their general population class, lowering their self-efficacy perceptions. It makes teachers feel bad about themselves when they don't have an answer for an ADHD or learning disabled student. Think about that. Part of what is going on here is that the teachers, they 
their self-efficacy, their value, their self, um, their their vision of their own value in the classroom is tied to them being able to teach uh, effectively. And when they run headlong into an experience with a student uh, where they don't they don't know the answers and they haven't been trained to deliver those answers, that increases their level of anxiety and frustration for engaging future students. And so it's this self-perpetuating spiral that uh, that causes student-teacher relationships to be challenged. And it increases, back to our conversation last week, it increases the um, responsibility, I would say, and the authority on the student to do some of that legwork, to come in prepared, to know how to engage faculty in a way that helps them get get their needs met. And that's not going to be easy. And as this research indicates, it's highly localized. Your mileage will vary because all schools have a different approach to this exact thing. We're talking about, you know, taking on the system, right? And and you just have to ask yourself, when do you want to take on the system? And when do you just want to get to the other side of it? Right. We hear that all the time. Like, it's just too frustrating to go through this, uh, getting accommodations. It's just too much uh, to have to put up that fight. Well, what you notice in college, and and I think one of the most frustrating things about going through this process, it's that there's a lot of fear and frustration and resignation coming from students with ADHD who don't want to engage because they fear that judgment. Uh, But but that responsibility, you have to do your part and the school will do their part and they will help this third party, the instructor, to come into line. And that may be a positive experience. It may be a negative experience uh, for the instructor, but it is their obligation and part of their job. And that's what I want to talk about next. Uh, So this is great. Keep going, Pete. Okay. Well, I'm on a I'm on a rant. I'm on a rant. Hey, I I'm following you. I'm telling you, it hit me in the feels, Nikki Kinzer, I, right I in the know. feels. I'm so sorry. It so, yeah, I get it. I started, right, so I started asking, well, I started asking uh, the question online uh, through some of the Reddit communities with student services coordinators who are dealing with some of these very things. Like, what do you report, um, you know, in your office? How do you help students to engage in these things? And you ask any of them, and they tell you the number one job of their office is to ensure that you have what you need to succeed. And, uh, you know, but uh, as we discussed last week, there are things you have to do for yourself first. Right. Mm -hmm. So I found a wonderful resource uh, in a colleague at University of Washington who told me a few things they recommend that I found very helpful. And I think that this my hope is that this will lead to a path of optimism as we leave this conversation. Uh, Number one, disclose your ADHD to trusted staff in the student services office or the disability office early and begin the process of requesting accommodations immediately. Go through the work of getting the accommodations settled with the university as soon as you can, as soon as you are accepted and admitted into the program, uh, because that sets the stage for your entire dialogue with all academic departments going forward. You have to do this work as frustrating as it is and as ridiculous as you think the student services office is being in asking what they need to ask of you. It is part of the process, but once you get to the other side of it, once you climb that mountain, the doors open wide. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can request a number of, of things that you never thought you could get. Right. Uh, so, you know, and this is the one that can frustrate recalcitrant instructors because, you know, with accommodation, accommodations in hand, your instructors have no choice 
but to work with the student services office to get you the the accommodations in place that you you have. And they don't your faculty doesn't have to work with you. They have to work with the student services office, with your advocate, not you. So Mm -hmm. your responsibility is not to put up a fight with this faculty member who doesn't want to support you. Your responsibility is just to get that process started and completed as early as possible. If you do one thing. So if you're finding resistance from the professor, then your recommendation, I think is what I'm hearing, is then go back to the student services and say, this is what's happening. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you have accommodations in place, that's all the ammunition you need. You say, right. look, I went in and I said, I, I, we agreed, me and student services, that I get time and a half on tests. Student services now has the responsibility of going to that faculty member and ensuring that you get time and a half on tests. Mm-hmm. That's the deal. So you don't have to necessarily engage with the instructor once that process is done. And that, I think, is a protective nature, right? You don't have to talk about Fight Club. You just get time and a half because that's the agreed upon accommodation. So number two, get familiar with disability services resources. So, um, you know, it is a a surprise always the number of students who just don't know what what rights they have available to them. And that is, I think, to, you know, when you look at the student service, coordinator community, that's an enormous frustration because they can help students who help themselves. And getting familiar early with what with those resources and just keeping them in the back of your head, print them out, put them in a file somewhere so you, you know you can turn to them, um, so you know what resources you have available to you. Uh, number two, get familiar with the University Writing Center or homework assistance resources for your department. Understand what those resources are and start using them quickly. And I'll get to why in a minute. Uh, make a complete Complete schedule of all of your instructor's office hours. Put it yes. on paper, right? Get it someplace where it's where you can carry it around and show it uh, yes. when you need to. And more on that in a minute. Build a relationship with a tutor or a series of tutors uh, in your subject area so that you can say, I am meeting with tutors to help me through this kind of you need that accountability and th- those resources exist. Uh, document your study environment. Make a list of what your study, your ideal study environment looks like and what you're able to achieve on your own and put that on paper. Make sure it is documented and then find a study partner in your classes or in your department to help you work through some of these things. And in turn, you help them. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about a lot of these last week. And so it feels like I know what you might be saying is like, Pete, this is about what the, the faculty members want. Um, why are you telling us all this student stuff? Well, the perspective here is really important. You need to be able to demonstrate at some level that you have done and are doing this work to your professors when you talk to them. They will be much more apt to support you without grief when approached by the disabilities and student support staff if they know at some level that you're doing some heavy lifting too. Mm-hmm. And and so it is a partnership, but the the ideal uh, relationship here is that it is it is not just you and your instructor. It is you, your instructor, and your advocate in the student disabilities office. And those three have to work together to actually ensure that that you're getting what you need. And the faculty will do what they need to do to make you successful, as long as you know, uh, as long as all all the eyes are dotted and t's are crossed. I love it. Um, there, there is one last thing that it bugged me. Hmm. It's stuck. It's stuck in my cr- in my claw or my craw. There's, it's stuck somewhere and it hurts. Uh oh. 
I found a I found a, a set of resources online. This was not just one uh, individual paper that that was talking about this. It was a number of people of, of people who were advocating for ADHD uh, adults working with their faculty, their disability office, and they they said that the number one thing you can do is work on some of your social and communication skills uh, before you go in and have these conversations. In particular, things like eye contact that you should be able to make more and longer strings, uh, longer periods of eye contact with those you're talking to, because that's a thing that frustrates, uh, uh, that frustrates non-ADHDers and that if they feel like your eyes are wandering, then you're not paying attention to them. And in order to get your accommodations. I I just think that's so ironic, right? Yeah. Like, you're, here's someone who's living with ADHD who probably has, you know, some issues maybe with some social skills. Yeah. <laughs> and you're asking them to to do more eye contact. Right. This yeah. this goes this falls right in line with are you willing to take on the system or do you just want to get by? Right. Because right. you know, at, at some level you may need to be aware that there are people who will judge you based on your behavior in a social situation. And in a social situation, I mean, when you are socializing with them about your accommodations, right? You're sitting across the meeting with a, across the, the table from a faculty member and a, a student support staff, and you're having a meeting about the required accommodations for your situation, and you can't look at them in the eye. What my heart tells me is, of course, you do, why bother looking at them in the eye? Are you tracking the conversation? Are you able to participate when asked questions? You be you. Exactly. But, yeah. On the other hand, if you just want to dodge the uh, any grief that might come to you, at what point do you give in and say, okay, I'm just going to stare straight in your face and that's all <laughs> I'm going to do and it's going to be weird for everybody. I'm just going to look right at you if, if eye contact is what you want. That's all I could think about. I found right. myself very frustrated by anybody even writing a paper that says that one of the things that you need out of, uh, you know, out of your experience with ADHD to ensure that you have uh, better relationships with your instructors is better eye contact. Does it hurt to have um, to improve your eye contact and social skills? No, doesn't hurt. But should that be a requirement for you getting your needs met and accommodations? Absolutely, Absolutely it should not. Absolutely not. And it's so interesting because I'm just thinking like, you know, what would I tell somebody who's going to, who's going in to meet their professor for the first time? I don't even think that that would have even, it wouldn't have crossed my mind. It wouldn't have at all. Of course not. Yeah. Because uh, it's absurd. No, it is. It and, is. And yet it's not absurd, right? It's absurd. And yet it's exactly the thing that you might hear from somebody who doesn't understand how to relate to somebody with ADHD or a learning disability or any other sort of disability. They're not able to relate. So they want you to relate in their language, not yours. Right, and right. it is uh, it's a discussion of privilege and it's gross. And uh, also it is it is the reality. Yeah. At some level. Interesting. Hmm. So that's What's what I note? have this week. You have a little note here about note taking. What was oh, that about? Uh, note taking. Uh, that you know that was another one that I thought was an interesting aside, and and I don't I don't actually have uh, as much of a problem with this one because I think it's super useful as a study skill. Demonstrate note taking by taking notes a lot in front in all of the meetings oh, that you right. have with people is um, that you demonstrate your level of participation by openly taking notes on the subject that you are talking about as you are having that conversation, and um, that is a social skill that communicates 
its attention. And uh, it can be handy if you feel like that's a thing you need to communicate. That is a handy tool uh, mm-hmm. that you might want to practice and pull out for those who need other reinforcement of your engagement in the process. Well, and something I want to add to that is one of the things I would recommend a student doing when they're meeting their professor is to actually have a few bullet points in front of them so that they don't have to rely on their memory of what they want to talk about or what they want to express in that conversation. And that's a really easy way to prepare is to actually think, okay, these are the three most important points and I'm going to write those down. And even if you have to tell the professor, okay, I just want to review this note that I took just to make sure I covered everything. I think that's a very positive interaction. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Is really prepared and cares and wants to make this work. So. Well, and, and that goes back to all of the fear that that instructors have in, in changing the way they do things is is around, you know, am I, am I doing this just to give somebody an easy pass? And so at every turn, you have an opportunity to demonstrate your engagement in the process. And I think that's that's really important to, um, you know, to remember that that you know, learning some of these skills, improving some of these skills yourself demonstrates you're just another little notch in your belt that you're engaged in this process. I, I want to go back to something that I forgot to to talk about, which uh, um, is is really important to me personally. When you said uh, you you had asked, you know, it, instructors can't talk about uh, they can't change their their class when they, it was my second point um, when instructors feel like they're running into students with ADHD in class, but they don't talk to, about it and they're not they're, supposed they're to not talk supposed about to it. Ask, right, yeah. right? Is that, am I yeah. correct on that? They are not supposed to ask, but right. there is a, a theory of course design in education and, and just in curriculum design called universal design, right? And, and what that says is um, when you are designing your course, what can you do to make sure that you're designing the course for every member of your audience so that you don't have to teach one group different than another, Mm -hmm. right? Is it wrong to say that uh, I'm going to offer my course notes and presentation to my students? Is it wrong to say that I'm going to offer a um, a course uh, textbook that is available in audiobook and text, uh, electronic text and paper? Um, is it what can I do to ensure that the resources that my ADHD or uh, students with learning disabilities come to class, the resources they need? Why is it wrong for me to make those resources available for everyone in my class universally? that I've designed the class in such a way that you don't even need to come to me for accommodations because the entire class is an accommodation. Think about that because mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And it's something I've been working on a course design with another client on um, uh, on actually learning to teach online. And um, uh, it is an interesting thing when you approach it that way. Mm-hmm. When you, And so when I was approached with this idea, well, I've got students with uh, that I'm pretty sure are like me. <laughs> I know they're like me. What would I want in this scenario? What have I not provided for these students such that uh, to, to help them be successful. And it was it was back then that I discovered that actually re-releasing my course lectures as a podcast that they could subscribe to outside of class was enormously helpful. 
for them to be able to go back. They don't need to worry about recording my lectures themselves because I have already done that work up front. And uh, so they get that as the course comes out, they get it a few days early, they can engage it, they can digest it. And then by the time they get to class, they are are ready to do something, uh, something you have a much more rich experience. This mm-hmm. is also the the sort of technology behind flipping the classroom, right? Where the, what you the student responsibility outside of class is now in a flipped classroom to engage in the material that normally would have been presented by an instructor in the class. Instead, when you get to the classroom, it is a much more of a laboratory focus. The assumption is you've already ingested the homework stuff, so now we're going to actually put it into practice. We're going to design a business or a marketing campaign or you know, a chemical experiment, something that you would not normally do in the class because now we have so much time. That's, that is a universal design concept or a pretext that I, I think is really useful. So um, oh, yes. I, look for that kind of language, universal course design when you're searching for your next college or university experience because is that it common? is uh, much more so, much more so. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's but it's growing. It it's one of those. Yeah. 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 And, and you can actually ask, you know, in your, in your tour of, of uh, you know, students, a lot of these students' disability offices will be able to tell you, yeah, you know, we have 15% reported with ADHD or 8% reported with ADHD students here in our campus. And as such, we have resources that will help you. Uh, and, and we are strong advocates of, of our ADHD students. And so th- those are the kinds of questions you can ask that will help you work with your faculty even better. So that's it. Love it. Thank you, Pete. This is great. <laughs> Well, thank you, Nikki. Thank you all for putting up with any potential noise in the backyard here. Uh, it was fun yard casting. And uh, <laughs> thanks thanks all for tuning it's a in. New thing. It is. No, I'm very excited about it. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. Uh, and we'll catch you next week right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. Mm-hmm.